Hello everyone! Welcome back to another episode of Pediatric Research Updates podcast presented by Khulud Luhib. Risk factors for the development of febrile recurrences in children with a history of urinary tract infection. A study was aimed to identify the risk factors for febrile recurrence of urinary tract infections in children with a history of UTI. They identified significant risk factors for febrile recurrences among children not receiving antimicrobial prophylaxis. The study included 500 children aged 2 to 72 months with a history of UTI who were followed prospectively for approximately two years. As a result of the study, they found that non-black race, febrile index UTI, bowel bladder dysfunction, grade 4 vesicular reflux, renal scarring at baseline, and renal bladder ultrasound abnormalities were associated with febrile recurrence. In conclusion, non-black race and grade 4 vesicular reflux increased the odds of febrile recurrence of UTI. The Epidemiology of Biliary Atresia Exploring the Role of Developmental Factors on Birth Prevalence The study was done to identify key epidemiological factors relevant to fetal development that are associated with biliary atresia. The result of the study was the prevalence of biliary atresia was 0.65 per 10,000 live births over the study period. It was positively associated with female gender delivery before 32 weeks gestation, and biliary atresia was inversely associated with season of conception in the fall relative to spring. In addition, biliary atresia was associated with maternal diabetes, with a stronger association with pre-gestational compared with gestational diabetes. In conclusion, biliary atresia is associated with multiple factors related to fetal development, including pre-gestational maternal diabetes, female gender, and preterm birth. These associations were also observed in isolated cases of biliary atresia without other malformations. Office blood pressure monitoring in children with obesity and obstructive sleep apnea. The study was designed to investigate the relative contributions of obesity and obstructive sleep apnea to unfavorable blood pressure in children. A cross-sectional study enrolled 1,689 children compared with children with primary snoring, children with moderate to severe obstructive sleep apnea had significantly higher systolic blood pressure and diastolic blood pressure. The rate of unfavorable blood pressure was also significantly higher in children with more severe obstructive sleep apnea. Children with obesity had higher blood pressure and blood pressure percentiles. In conclusion, they identified a three-fold risk of unfavorable blood pressure in children with obesity and moderate to severe obstructive sleep apnea. Case report, small bowel internal hernia and sigmoid volvulus through a congenital mesenteric defect. An 11-month-old male infant who presented with excessive crying and constipation of five days duration developed vomiting after admission. Findings of a physical examination revealed an irritable baby with a distended abdomen. Digitorectal examination revealed an empty rectum. A radiograph of abdomen showed bowel filled with feces and the ultrasound scan showed dilated large bowel loops filled with feces and fluid. 
an abdominal CT was done, which revealed dilatation of the proximal large bowel proximal to the sigmoid colon, along with dilated proximal small bowel loops. There was clustering of bowel loops and swirling of the mesentery with its vessels. This was suggestive of small and large bowel obstruction. Stress ulcer prophylaxis for critical asthma. The study aimed to describe trends for stress ulcer prophylaxis prescribing for children with critical asthma in intensive care units and explore for differences in rates of stress ulcer prophylaxis-related complications for those with and without stress ulcer prophylaxis exposure. A retrospective multicenter cohort study was done using the Pediatric Hospital Information System Registry among 42 children's hospital from 2010 to 2019, including children 3 to 17 years of age admitted to the PQ for critical asthma. The results were that of approximately 30,000 children studied, approximately 10,000 received stress ulcer prophylaxis. No episodes of GI bleeding were recorded. One subject developed gastric ulceration and 32 developed gastritis, with stress ulcer prophylaxis rates increasing from 25.5% in 2010 to 42.1% in 2019. No episodes of GI bleeding were noted over a 10-year period. Stress ulcer prophylaxis solely for corticosteroid exposure may be unwarranted. Food insecurity and cardiometabolic markers, results from the study of Latino youth. A study was done to evaluate whether lower household and child food security were adversely associated with the metabolic syndrome composite variable and the clinically measured cardiometabolic markers. Weight circumference, fasting plasma glucose, triglycerides, high-density lipoprotein cholesterol, and systolic and diastolic blood pressure. This cross-sectional study included 1,325 Hispanic Latino youth aged 8 to 16 years using multivariable regression analysis to assess relationships between household food security and child food security status found that for both food security measures, youth in the lowest food security category had significantly lower high-density lipoprotein cholesterol than those with high food security. Low versus high child food security was associated with greater fasting plasma glucose, triglycerides, and metabolic syndrome expected luck counts. Concluding that lower food security is associated with unfavorable metabolic syndrome-relevant cardiometabolic markers in Hispanic Latin youth. These findings also support the use of a child-level versus a household-level measure to capture the health implications of food insecurity. Case report. Possible in transmission of SARS-CoV-2 and severe respiratory disease in preterm infants. Severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2 infections are uncommon in newborn infants. This report describes possible in transmission of the alpha variant in a preterm infant born at 31 weeks gestational age who presented with severe respiratory disease. The infant was treated with high-frequency oscillatory ventilation, antiviral medications and corticosteroids, and transitions to non-invasive respiratory support on day 33. 
By day 63, she was off positive pressure support and breathing room air, and she was discharged home on day 70. She demonstrated normal growth and development at a six-month follow-up visit. Placental histopathology revealed placentitis characterized by loss of intravenous spaces due to fibrin deposition and inflammatory cell infiltration. Optimum management strategies for treating infants with severe respiratory SARS-CoV-2 infection have yet to be determined. This concludes our podcast. Thank you all for listening.